0: Good evening and welcome to Colorado Decides, a joint production of Colorado Public Television, CBS4 and KOA News Radio. I'm your host Dominic Dizziti. Thank you very much for joining us. Joining me tonight is Sean Boyd, political specialist with CBS4 News and political analyst Eric Sonderman. Tonight, we continue our coverage of the 2016 election by focusing on Amendment 71, also known as the Raise the Bar campaign. If passed, initiative petitioners will be required to obtain signatures over a larger portion of the state in order to amend Colorado's Constitution, among other issues. Joining us for the next 30 minutes are Senator Pat Stedman, a proponent of the Raise, of raise the Bar, and Elena Nunez of Colorado Common Cause, an opponent of Amendment 71 everyone thank you very much for joining us. We have limited time so let's get right to it. do you want to ask your first question?
1: So essentially the goal of this to make it harder to change the Constitution which would cause I think grassroots groups especially to seek statutory changes which the legislature can then amend if they want to. Under that scenario you know without constitutional amendments I think people would argue Tabor would have been changed by the legislature. Maybe the sunshine laws, campaign finance. So I think You know, some might wonder, is this just giving the legislature more power by encouraging people to go the statutory route instead of the constitutional?
2: Pat, you want to start? I think Amendment 71 is designed to respect the Colorado Constitution and to say that our state's basic founding document for how our government is structured and what its powers and limitations are, that should be a document we respect and that we don't amend every two years. And yet that's been the practice in the state of Colorado. We tend to amend our Constitution every general election, whether we need to or not. And the Raise the Bar campaign is saying, time out. We need to put the Colorado Constitution on a higher shelf in the library and only take it down on important occasions when we really do need to re-examine the basic rights of individuals or the basic structure of our government but that things like campaign finance regulation or marijuana or hunting season, these are not things that should be enshrined in our Constitution. These are policy issues that should be uh, able to be changed over time, that the legislature should have an ability to weigh in and, and to update the laws as needed. When things go into the Constitution, the legislature can't do that. And we end up with litigation, we end up with things in our Constitution that are declared unconstitutional and unenforceable, and yet they're still there. Um, We need to show the Colorado Constitution a little more respect. And that's what voting yes on Amendment 71 will do.
3: Lena, show the Constitution more respect. (laughs) Well, I think the voters of Colorado have shown the Constitution tremendous respect you know for all of the measures that have been proposed since we've started the initiative process less than one-third that have been proposed by voters to the constitution have been adopted because the voters are strict judges about what belongs in the constitution and what doesn't and they're a good judge of whether or not it belongs the problem with amendment 71 is it's designed to allow the wealthiest special interest in the state to act as a gatekeeper because the cost of initiatives will go up dramatically And at the same time, there's no protection for anything proposed in statute. So if the voters decide to go the statutory route the way Common Cause did with campaign finance, the legislature could turn around and change it the next day because there's no protection. And that's the reason we see a lot of initiatives go the constitutional route, and that's not addressed by Amendment 71.
4: Eric? Let me ask a question of each of you. I'll start with you, Elena. Will you acknowledge that there should be some kind of different standard for approving statutory changes versus constitutional changes? And even if Amendment 71 is not the fix, as you clearly contend, should there be the same standard for statutory and constitutional or a different standard?
3: Absolutely. We should make it easier to amend statutes and give constitutional uh, provisions the same review they get right now. As I said, it's incredibly difficult to amend the Constitution. Just ask anyone who's tried to run a ballot measure Mm -hmm. campaign. You know, hundreds of thousands of dollars collecting signatures throughout the state, and then you have to make your case to the voters. So I think it's already pretty difficult, but the best way to actually change the process is to encourage statutes, which again, Amendment 71 doesn't do.
4: And for you, Pat, let me just direct one to you if I can. In terms of the petition effort that put Raise the Bar, Amendment 71, on the ballot, did that petition effort comply with the provisions of Amendment 71 in terms of signature collection in all 35 districts?
2: I don't know the vote count to the number of signatures from each of the districts. Should should it it, it have? The proponents know that the law today requires 5% of the number of votes cast for Secretary of State in the last general election. That's the law today. That's the process that everyone follows. Uh, the proponents of Amendment 71 made every effort to circulate petitions in all 35 Senate districts as the measure requires. They actually delayed filing the petition so that they could send some folks out in the field to a couple districts where they were liked. So they've made every effort to walk the walk and uh, circulate their petition in the spirit of what uh, Raise the Bar requires, which is getting to all four corners of the state and giving all the different parts of Colorado, each of the 35 Senate districts, a voice in whether or not an initiative should be on the ballot. Now, I need to point out, the state of Colorado has the easiest-to-amend constitution of all 50 states in the nation. I mean, yes, the process takes money, takes time, and yet our process in Colorado is easier than in most states. And that's one of the reasons why we get a lot of things put on the ballot here as, and making us the guinea pig or the test market for some of these new fads and ideas that come along because it's easier to test it out in Colorado because our process is so open to allowing people to petition constitutional amendments onto the ballot. Uh, as a result, you know, here is the Colorado Constitution, and this actually is an out-of-date version. It's gotten longer since this book was published. And here's the United States Constitution. The framers made this Constitution extremely difficult to amend for a reason, and that's the reason why it's still a readable document like this. The Colorado Constitution is one of the easiest to amend in the country, and it's collecting all kinds of extraneous provisions and growing exponentially every election.
0: How much of that big red book is actually from citizen initiatives?
2: Quite a bit. Actually, some of the lengthiest uh, provisions in the state constitution were citizen initiatives. great example of that is campaign finance reform. In Colorado, All of our campaign finance laws and the limits on what a candidate can and can't accept are specified in the state constitution. The dollar figures are written into the constitution, aren't adjusted for inflation in some cases, and very difficult to ever go back and fix. That's why we're trying to differentiate the process of creating laws by initiative versus amending the Constitution by initiative. The two should be different.
0: Let, let me follow up on uh, your point you just made about giving a voice to folks in all the different counties and I guess specifically I want to make sure I have this right, that you this amendment would require signatures to be collected in all 35 s- state senate districts. Don't those people already have a voice in approving or denying
2: an amendment if it's on the ballot? They have a vote for what appears on the ballot. But as far as the process of the grassroots coming together and signing petitions and initiate that, that can all be done here in the Denver metro area and never going west of the Continental Divide, never going to southern Colorado or out to the eastern plains. There's enough people and voters just in the Denver metro area to drive the whole ship. And in fact, that's how it often works. That's why the geographic distribution requirements are part of Amendment 71, so that we do ensure that something that's going to go into our state constitution, our founding document that defines our system of government, has that level of of participation and buy-in from folks all across the state, people who have been left out up until now.
0: But wouldn't that also give, like, Kit Carson County a veto power? I mean, if you couldn't get support in one Senate district
2: in some distant part of the state... Kit Carson County, I believe, is in Senate District 1, which is 11 counties big. Okay. Um, there's not a lot of folks out there, but um, they're, they're going to be have an equal voice that those 11 counties of Senate District 1 to, you know, the Senate District I happen to represent, which is just in Denver and Arapahoe counties. Gotcha.
1: Sure. So, Elena, I'm going to follow up on that. Isn't, isn't it fair to require, I mean, so you've got an issue that's going to affect rural Colorado, and you could just go down on 16th Street Mall or Pearl Street Mall and collect all your signatures. Shouldn't you have to go out to rural Colorado
3: and at least get their voice on this too just to to get it on the ballot? Well I think it's important to remember that on election day every voter has a voice and one person one vote means that if there's strong support in one part of the state and not another a measure is likely to pass. But I think moreover it's really problematic that the proponents of Amendment 71 can't say whether or not they met the requirements they seek to put in the Constitution because it is difficult to go out and gather signatures. And again, just look at this campaign season. We've seen a lot of groups try, and not all of them have been successful. And so to set standards that may not be possible to meet, I think that that deserves a closer look because really what we're talking about is making it more difficult, not creating a better discussion, because let's be honest, those petitioners, that's not where you have robust debate about the issues. That happens once a measure makes the ballot, once people get their blue books, once they start reading editorials. What this is about is making it so expensive and so onerous that voters don't even get the opportunity to decide, and that's problematic. Is it true, Pat, grassroots would have a harder time getting on the ballot? I want to
2: remind everyone that under our initiative process today, the process is identical to create a change to the statutes and a change to the Constitution, the same petition process, same votes. What we're saying is let's leave the statutory process in place, and so anything voters want to have a say on, they can put into the statutes and 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 do so under the exact same process we have today it's only when you want to put something in the constitution that we're saying we should raise the bar and have more participation from folks statewide and a greater deal of uh, a greater um a deal of consensus amongst the voters, getting to that 55 percent vote threshold in order to amend the Constitution. We think that is keeping in the spirit of how the framers created the federal Constitution where they made it really difficult to amend in a process that involves all of the states and a lot of vetting and a lot of opportunity for conversations. That's really missing from our process today.
1: And you want it to be harder to amend because once you amend the Constitution, you can't do anything about it, unlike the statutory changes.
2: There's a great example this year on the ballot. Uh, There's an amendment to increase the minimum wage. And it turns out you have to amend the Colorado Constitution in our state to increase the minimum wage because several years ago people put this issue into the Constitution and took the power away from the legislature to deal with this themselves. And so the legislature has been powerless around minimum wage. It's been on autopilot for several years. And this year... Proponents of increasing it have to go to the extent of amending the state constitution to, to set a, 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 an economic, you know, business regulation policy that doesn't belong in the constitution in the first place.
3: Well, Lena, how do you respond to that? I think there are two things to keep in mind. One is that the U.S. constitution and state constitutions play fundamentally different roles. So to compare their lengths is just misleading. The Colorado Constitution not only addresses issues of governance such as campaign finance, which has come up several times, but also sets out our local government structure and how the legislature operates and other things that we can all agree belong in the Constitution. So clearly, there is a place for a long Constitution to address these important issues. But I think, again, the other thing to remember is the reason you run an initiative is because the legislature will not act. And given that, to ask people to put something in statute with no protection and just trust that the will of the voters will be upheld, that's just unrealistic. And I think if we look at this election season, and again the example of minimum wage, a lot of times the reason we're going to the ballot, whatever the campaign, is because we want to change something that's already in there. And what Amendment 71 says, if you want to repeal it, you only need a simple majority, but if you want to change it, you have to meet that higher threshold. So what that means is the provisions that are in place, either you need to make the case that they should be removed wholesale or that much higher bar has to be met. And frankly, I think that makes it impossible to change TABOR, to change term limits, to change campaign finance, or any other measure where the voters have been clear that there's interest, even if there is a debate about the specific details. So I think there could be some unintended consequences that are of real concern.
4: I want to go where Elena just ended up, and we'll start with you on this one, Pat. Most of the attention, to the extent there has been attention to this measure, has been about the geographic requirement and getting a certain number of signatures in 35 districts. We can come back to that. The other real provision that interests me, we will say, is sort of the double standard of if now we'll, if, if this passes, it would take 55 percent to add new language to the Constitution, but only 50 percent or 50 percent plus one mm-hmm. to change an existing piece of the Constitution. Isn't that a double standard? I mean, if so, that it would. Am I right that it's only 50 percent plus one to amend Tabor a few years from now? but 55% to do something else. And isn't that going to create a lot of mischief in terms of how people craft their amendments?
2: Well, let me just clarify a few things. You're correct about the basic rules. 55% vote to put new policy into the Constitution. Anything in the current Constitution that you want to repeal and all you're doing is repealing and not making new policy to replace it, then that's a 50% plus one vote uh, simple majority requirement. The Tabor Amendment isn't really the best example because the Tabor Amendment actually empowers voters to vary the terms of of Tabor by a vote, a voter-approved revenue change is what the Constitution calls that. And that can be done through a statutory measure put on the ballot. And so changing Tabor can be done with a statute today. at least the, the basic fiscal policy of Tabor. Some of its other extraneous provisions, you know, real estate transfer taxes or things, those would need to be uh, a 55% vote to change the policy, a 50% vote to repeal it.
4: I guess, but to back to the basic question, I appreciate the clarification. Why shouldn't going forward there just be one standard
2: for amending the Constitution as opposed to two standards? To put new policy into the Constitution, Amendment 71 says it requires a 55% uh, majority vote. To go back and take out something that was put in with a simple majority, um, the proponents felt like that proposal to repeal uh, something that had been previously amended into the Constitution should be held to the same rules that it was um, subject to when it went in, a simple majority vote. Uh, that's the rationale for it. Um, does it create, you know, two sets of rules? Perhaps. I don't think it's that confusing. Uh, and I think the, the overarching policy is very clear, which is if you want to put something new in our state constitution, you need more statewide support to get it on the ballot and more voters to get it passed. Elena?
3: Well. I think that one thing to remember is even to repeal something, if you need to put one word in to clarify or to make it all flow, you've now added new policy, because it's not about policy, it's about language. So once you go from repeal to amend, that higher threshold goes into place. So if someone wanted to go back and repeal the time frames around recall elections, which is something that the Senate has looked at in the past, if you were going to pull those provisions out but needed to add new language to put that into effect, you are now not just repealing, you're amending the Constitution. So I think there are serious unintended consequences. And while it might sound nice to say we should play by the same rules as you know when something was adopted, that's not how it works in practice. And that's a real flaw with Amendment 71. Sean. Sure. So one of the
1: arguments you've made um, for uh, keeping this current system is because if you put it in the Constitution, it's more difficult for lawmakers than to. Um, make changes and not uphold the will of the voters but but you can hold them responsible if they don't can't voters you can vote those lawmakers out if they don't
3: uphold the will of the voters so how does that argument hold weight Well, I think we have to look at more than just the election. There's redistricting and the fact that not all districts are competitive. There's our campaign finance system, which, again, would be a whole other topic for another day. But the idea that it's as simple as just voting out lawmakers who go against the will of the voters, while that's true, it's also true that there are often not consequences for politicians who go against the will of the people. And that's why the initiative process is so important, because that's that direct check. If the legislature is not responsive, the voters can go directly to the ballot, whether it's statutory or constitutional, and make the changes they want to see, and that's important.
2: For me, I don't think this argument has a lot of merit, that that we need to be afraid of doing something in the statutes, therefore everything goes in the Constitution where the legislature can't touch it. I, I don't know of an example where the legislature has come in and revised or repealed a citizen statutory initiative. I'm not familiar with an example of that. And I can't imagine, you know, having served in the legislature for seven years, I can't imagine the legislature as a body, as a whole, voting to override the will of the people expressed in an election to pass a statutory initiative. To me, that's something I I would have a hard time doing, and I think most legislators would. We respect the, the voice of our voters.
3: Can you think of an example? Sure. Amendment 15 was passed by the voters to implement campaign finance reform, and after a narrow court ruling, the legislature went in and did a massive rewrite going far beyond what the court called for, and that's why when Amendment 27 was passed by voters in 2002, it was put in the Constitution to protect that desire for a strong campaign finance system.
2: Campaign finance is a great example of an issue where the, the, the boundary lines, the, the rules of the road, are changing. The federal courts have been very activist in First Amendment law around campaign finance. Citizens United. And as a result... Things that we enshrined in our Constitution a few years ago, today are unconstitutional. And the rules are likely to change again because this is a, a something legislatures and courts and litigants mm-hmm. and groups like Common Cause are very, very active in. Uh, a great example of something that should be let to the legislature, kept in statute where it's flexible and adaptable over time, and you can react to court rulings that come down, but no, in Colorado, our process is favors sticking everything in the Constitution even if it doesn't belong there. That's what we're trying to fix. Eric?
4: We have about four minutes left, which time goes faster uh, <laughs> around here. So we'll keep, try to keep the answers crisp. Let's talk about the geographic piece. Are there other progressive states, and I mean by progressive states, states that encourage direct democracy, i.e. initiatives like Colorado does, that have this rigid a geographic requirement that you have to hit your mark in 35 out of 35 districts. If you do 34 out of 35, you're out of luck. I'm told that there are other states that have such a bar, but the bar might be 80% or 66% or something like that. Why such a rigid standard patent and we'll let Elena in?
2: Well, again, the geographic signature requirement is intended to involve all parts of Colorado. It's 2% of the voters in each of the uh, 35 Senate districts. The overall requirement to qualify an initiative for the ballot is 5% of all the votes cast for Secretary of State at the last election. And so 2% of each district only gets you 2% statewide, and you've got to get 5% total. There's some cushion there. Now, I know there's some far-out hypotheticals where the numbers get strange, but for the most part, um, you're always going to have... Uh, plenty of extra signatures that you can pick up on the Front Range or wherever it's cheap and easy um, and above those that are required from the 35 districts. But, if but I at o- least you've done that.
4: But if I only hit my mark in 34 out of 35 districts, it's not on the ballot. Is that correct?
2: And if you are one signature short of the legal requirement, it's not on the ballot. The, yes, there, are, there is a bar you have to clear in order to qualify th- through all the steps of this process. Elena,
4: is this a, is the geographic requirement fair and is it workable?
3: Well, we don't know if it's workable because we haven't seen it happen. And again, the proponents of Amendment 71 can't even say if they were able to accomplish it. What we do know is that it will make measures incredibly expensive and more difficult. And that's the goal. It's not to have a statewide conversation. It's to make it impossible to qualify ballot measures. And that's not the way we should be running our democracy.
0: We're uh, just down to about a couple minutes up before we get to our closing statement. Shawnee, a quick question?
1: I want to go back to um, something that you had brought up, Elena, which is why not just lower the standard for the statutory measures instead of raising it for the constitutional ones?
2: You know, I don't think you would find a lot of voters who would tell you that we don't have enough ballot issues in Colorado (laughs) and we should lower the bar so we get more things on the ballot for us to wrestle with. I don't think that's what people want. Our initiative process was built in a way so that on important issues where you've got the the wherewithal and the will to get 5% of the voters, you know, to sign petitions and do all this, you can put something on the ballot. But making it easier to get more things on the ballot, I don't think is what voters want. We're talking about making it harder to amend the Constitution, leaving available the ordinary uh, statutory initiative route under the current rules. Elena?
3: Again, I think the voters make clear when they think that something belongs in the Constitution or not. Less than a third of the measures that are proposed for a citizen initiative to the Constitution are enacted. And that number's actually gone down in the last 10 years. It's now under 30%. So what we see is that voters are actually quite discerning at deciding what belongs in the Constitution and what doesn't. So to try to protect voters for themselves by making it so expensive and onerous to put something on the ballot is really insulting to the voters of Colorado and bad policy.
4: Let
0: me ask you just a quick 30-second answer question here. We're in 2016. The election season has been none like at least it has been a couple of generations. Are you worried Senator Seven, that uh, an initiative like this that is asking voters to essentially make it harder for them to themselves to amend the Constitution is going to be a hard sell in
2: a year like this? We've seen a lot of support for the measure. Uh, Chambers of Commerce uh, organizations all across the state have endorsed this particularly um, folks um, from local government and and rural Colorado and parts of the state that normally get left out of these conversations have been very supportive. We've, you know, circulated the petition statewide, got the signatures, and now Colorado gets to decide. Elena?
3: Well, I think that history can tell us something and that twice there have been efforts to make it more difficult to amend the Constitution and voters have rejected it twice. And I think in this political climate asking voters to take away power because they can't discern what's good policy or not is a, is a really insulting proposition.
0: Well, it is time for in the part of our debate to ask our representatives for closing statements. We offer each of them one minute to talk directly to you, our our viewers. Uh, we start with Elena. You have one minute. The floor Thank is yours. You.
3: you know, I think it's important to remember that the initiative process is an important part of Colorado's uh, Democratic legacy. It enables us to propose changes when the legislature won't and to address important issues and Amendment 71 is about setting the bar so high that it blocks off reforms to all but the wealthiest special interests. And that's why when you look at who's supporting Amendment 71, you are seeing it's a lot of politicians and special interests who want to make it difficult for the voters of Colorado to propose and adopt changes. And not only that, we'll see serious unintended consequences if, as a result of Amendment 71, we can no longer adapt and adjust the constitutional provisions we already have. So for all of those reasons, it's important that we protect our Constitution by maintaining the status quo and uh, voting no on Amendment 71.
0: Lena, thank you very much.
2: You. Senator Pat Steadman, floor is yours for one minute. Thanks. I think voters should vote yes on Amendment 71 and raise the bar for what it takes to amend the Colorado Constitution. It's important to remember that when you're petitioning an issue onto the ballot, you have a choice about whether to put it into the state statutes or into the Constitution. And today, almost everything goes in the Constitution because the process is identical. Raise the bar would change that and require statewide involvement in the petition process and a higher number of votes in order to actually put something in the Constitution. It leaves available the current process, the same thresholds for changing a statute, which is where many of the policy issues that uh, end up on the ballot really belong. And when you hear arguments that this takes away your right to vote, it doesn't. It just makes it harder to amend the state constitution, respecting and protecting our state's foundational document where our individual rights are protected and the limits on government power are defined. That's not a document we should amend easily and often. It's something we should be more thoughtful about and yet preserve the right to change policy at the ballot box with statutory measures.
0: Thank you very much. That is all the time we have for our look at Amendment 71. I'd like to thank our guests for joining us, Senator Pat Stedman and Elena Nunez. I'd like to thank my fellow panelists, Sean Boyd and Eric Sonderman. If you have like to find out more information about any of the general election ballot issues or races, please visit our websites at cpt12.org/election, or cbsdenver.com, and koanewsradio.com. Be sure to join us next Friday, September 23rd, at 9 p.m. as we look at the Medical Aid in Dying ballot initiative. Also, be sure to stay tuned later tonight. We have the premiere of both sides of the story. Our special high school debate series tackling all the great topics here in Colorado. The first episode is going to be with East High School. Tackling medical aid and dying. Uh, they're not bashful. They're going right to a uh, 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 very good topic. It'll be a tournament edition. That's right. This entire season, we'll have four different high schools facing off, and we'll have a champion by the uh, time we get to Election Day. We'll hope you tune in every Friday night at 930 for that, and Colorado sides every Friday at 9 o'clock. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic DeZuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.